Okay. Um, we, we talked the first class about the inspiration of Scripture. We talked in the last class about how Jesus viewed Scripture. We want to re-emphasize some of those points that we made last time, not going over the ground we went last time, but sometimes adding some verses and ideas to them, okay? that's, That's our goal, anyway, in what we're doing tonight. Uh, We made the point last time, and we still had a point to add to this, was the reason why we need to start here. But we made the point last time that Jesus viewed the Scriptures as the actual words of God. The actual words of God. And one of the things that we did to point that out is talk about times that Jesus quotes the Old Testament and He introduces it with, For God said. And you can listen to those verses uh, from last time, Matthew 15, 4, Matthew 19, 4 through 6, Matthew 22, 31, were some of those passages. But the New Testament does this over 50 times. It will cite the Old Testament and it will say, For God said. It will introduce the quote that way. Now we want to look at Scriptures the way Jesus looked at Scriptures. Here we're arguing you can prove the inspiration of Scriptures and go from that to the deity of Christ. You can go that way, but you can go the other way as well. You can go from proving the deity of Christ by the fact He rose from the dead and then say, if He rose from the dead, we can take His Word on everything. And that's how He viewed Scripture. And we can view Scripture the same way that He did. Now, one of the things I wanted to add to this is that statement in Romans chapter 3 verse 2. Now the New American Standard is talking about the advantages of the Jews. In Romans chapter 3, the Bible talks about that there is much advantage uh, every way. And it says uh, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. The oracles of God. Romans 3 verse 2. Now, particularly, I'm interested in what other translations have. But there's one translation I'm particularly interested in. But but what do your translations have that are different than that? Do any of them have something different than oracles of God, Josh? Christian standard says words of God. Words of God. Words of God. The NIV, I believe, has the very words of God. Is is that correct? Same. Okay. And the point, this is... That's what that means. Oracles, that word is often translated word. But this is looking at Scripture and he's talking about the advantages the Jewish people have, the advantages they've been given. Unto them were given the words of God, the oracles of God, the very words that God spoke. I'm not saying there's anybody here that doesn't believe that. But let the power of that sink into us. That God 
has spoken to us and those words have been preserved in Scripture. Now, I want us to read some passages. Right now, I'll read some passages from Matthew. I want you to notice, kind of just let all of this sink in on you. And what is this saying? Okay, We're going to talk about times that Matthew uses this kind of fulfillment formula. Uh, and, and I'll try to write the passages as we get to them. But I'm just asking you, think about this, and then I'm going to ask you a question. What is this saying to us? This wording saying to us. In Matthew 1, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. That's Matthew 1.22. He then quotes Isaiah 7.14, Behold, the virgin shall be with child. Look at Matthew, Matthew 2. In Matthew 2, in verse 15. Matthew 2, verse 15. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Now look at verse 17. In verse 17, Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. The next verse goes on to quote Jeremiah 31, 15. A voice was heard in Ramah. But pay attention to that wording in 2.17. What had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was Fulfilled. Okay, look at 2.23. 2.23. Now each time, notice there's an Old Testament quotation. Here, Isaiah 7.14. Here, Hosea 11.1. Here, Jeremiah 31 verse 5. Or 31 verse 15. Then in verse 23, it came uh, and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets he shall be called a Nazarene. Okay? Matthew 4, 14. Matthew 4, 14. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Then the passage will go on to quote... Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, about Zebulun and Naphtali that were in darkness. They saw a great light. But our key, verse 14, to fulfill what was spoken through by the Lord through Isaiah the prophet. Matthew 8, verse 17. Matthew 8, verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried our diseases. That is a quote from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 
and verse 4. Isaiah, Matthew 12. Matthew 12. By the way, so many of these quotes are from the book of Isaiah. When it's from Isaiah, Isaiah is usually identified. Uh, Isaiah is identified as a prophet 20-something times in the New Testament. Uh, all the rest of the prophets together aren't mentioned that frequently in the New Testament. But in Matthew chapter 12, in verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Now, I know I'm running the risk here of running this in the ground. But be thinking about the wording. Be thinking about the wording. Be thinking about what it's saying. It goes on to quote from Isaiah 42. But this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. In Matthew 13 verse 34 and 35. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. As he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. That is a reference to Psalm 78 verse 2. But it says what was spoken through the prophets. Okay, Matthew 21 verse 4. Matthew 21 verse 4. The Bible talks about Jesus' triumphal entry. This was to take place. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And then he goes on to quote Zechariah 9 about Jesus riding into Jerusalem uh, upon a donkey. Your king comes upon a donkey. In Matthew 22 verse 31, a passage that we did read last time. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? And then he quotes from Exodus. I am the God of Abraham, the God of uh, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And then the last one, Matthew 22, 27, Matthew 27 and verse 9. Then that which was spoken through the prophet, that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took 30 pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel. Now you see there is a whole host of passages, isn't And like I said, by reading every one, I risk running it into the ground. But what do you see from the wording of how these Old Testament quotes were introduced? What are you seeing here? What, is, what are those texts saying? Well, that they are so true from God that they are literally being fulfilled in actual events. Okay. They are fulfilled in actual events. And that was one of the points, one of the points we made last time, and in summary, in a second, we're right on the board, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of Scripture. And they are being fulfilled in these events in his life, in his birth. 
in his movements as a child, in his geographical movements as to when he starts his ministry, uh, as to the way he teaches, as to riding Jerusalem on a donkey, and how he is going to be betrayed. All of these things, all of these things, uh, Jesus fulfills Scripture. Alan, you have fallen as yeah. well. Jesus expected his listeners to know these scriptures. Okay. He expected them to know them. He expected them to realize the relevance to their lives. This was the prophet. Okay, yes. I remember that. This is relevant to my life because of that. Yes, yes, exactly. He expected them to be familiar with it. Have you not read, as we talked a little bit about last week, you know, time and time again, have you not read? He expected them to be familiar and understand. I want to tell you the thing that's stunning to me, and I don't remember uh, which of us, and it may be somebody in this room, were in this conversation just a couple of days ago. But somebody here, no, I've been somebody that's preached in Illinois. Okay, uh, but uh, I saw your brother, by the way. So you say hello. But, um, but when I was over there, we were talking, but the thing that's amazing to me is in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, some of these converts had just been Gentiles and were just converted a few years, and Paul expected them to be familiar in scripture, with Scripture too. So all of what you're saying is right and true, but did you have your hand up? I was just going to say that the Lord has said the sign of a true prophet is the things which come to pass. Okay, the sign of a true prophet is that it's going to come to pass in Deuteronomy 18. And, and his prophecies are coming true, Gary. You can see that God's word is truth and it's trustworthy regardless of when it's spoken in time. It's, uh, I'm kind of reminded of the servant when his master tells him to do something. He says, consider it done. Okay. When God spoke something... You can consider it done. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And David, you have your hand up. Yeah, in pretty much each one of these, it talks about was spoken through, and it may name the prophet. It may just say the prophets. Sometimes it says from God, but you know, spoken through seems to be a common. Was spoken. Was spoken. Come back to that. Was the second. Josh. Similar to that. The word prophet, at least in English, means to speak forth. They're not the source of the information. They're just a spokesman for something else. Yeah. So to say it came from the prophet, that's just to say that that's the person who delivered the message, but they're not the originator of the message. They're not the originator of the message. And, and, and so a lot, of these, a lot of the comments are tying together. And, and everything you all said was true and valid and biblical. All of it. But particularly, I was wanting to emphasize how the human speaker was just an instrument. The main speaker was God. The human speaker. In every one of these cases, what you have is, um, and this is, if you've ever looked into Greek at all, Aris. This is the key word, though. Passive participle. Participle. Now, uh, no, participle is not the key word. Passive is the key word. Passive is the key word. You all know the difference between active and passive. 
active is where you are speaking. The wife speaks to her husband saying, why have you not taken out the trash? And uh, that's the active, the passive. The husband was rebuked for not taking out the trash. Which is active and which is passive in there. You understand that difference. In every case, when this talks about the human spokesman, it is a passive participle. In other words, they were not, I think Josh said it, but one of you said it well, he, they were not the originator of the message. I think David said just a second ago that, uh, that some of the times it is specifically said that the Lord spoke the message. Look at 122 again. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Now, who is active in that verse? The Lord. Spoken by the Lord. Who is passive? Who is the instrument here? The prophet. What was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. You see the same thing in 2.15. In 2.15, the Bible says this was to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Now, Matthew is the greatest collection of this type of thing. But you do find this elsewhere in Scripture. Sometimes you will see that God announced something through the prophet. Sometimes you will see the Lord does it. Sometimes you will see the Holy Spirit does it. But each time it is the Father, Son, or Spirit that is speaking and the human speaker is simply an instrument. Let me just look at a couple of other examples because I know we've given you a lot, but I want to look at a couple of examples to show you both the Holy Spirit doing this and the Father doing this. Look at Acts 1. Acts 1. We saw the references in Matthew 1 and 2 to what the Lord had spoken. But look in Acts 1, Acts 1 and verse 16. Um, Isaiah, will you read that when you get there? Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand in the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Okay. The scripture had to be fulfilled. Who spoke it? Who foretold it? The Holy Spirit. Through whom? Through David. David, is he the originator or is he simply the instrument through whom the Spirit is speaking? He is the instrument in this case. Look at Acts 4. Acts 4 and verse 25. Acts 4. Whoever's here first can read this. Acts 4.25. Who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David your servant said... Why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? Okay. Again, the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David spoke this. In the end chapter of Acts, you see one more reference to the Holy Spirit like this. One more reference. We get Acts 28, 25 through 27. Acts 28, 25 through 27. Claudia, would you want to read that? 
Just read 25. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul and made one statement. The Holy Spirit was writing, saying to your fathers, and I say the prophet. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet. Okay? So we see that the Lord spoke through the prophets. In these verses, we group them together because all of these view the ultimate or originator of Scripture as the Holy Spirit. But let's look at a couple that attribute it to God. Look at Acts 3. Acts 3. Acts 3 in verse 18. Uh, someone can... We're going to read verse 18. We're going to read verse 21 here. If anyone wants to... Alan, go ahead. 18 and 21. Yes, go ahead. 18 and 21. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. 21, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the Holy prophets long ago. Okay, very good. So Acts 3, 18, Acts 3, 21 talked about things that God announced, that God did through the mouth of the prophets. Now, we serve one God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. And, and we're not trying to uh, in this particular lesson say, well, is it the Father, is it the Son, is it the Spirit? Listen, when God acts, all the persons of God are active in that. So Father, the one God who is Father, Son, and Spirit, God announces, it fulfills the word of the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke it, and the human speakers are simply instruments, and they're passive. All of this is to underline what we have said. When we're opening up our Bibles, we are reading the actual Word of God. That needs to fill us with awe and reverence. The very fact that we can do that, in a real sense, every time we open up Scripture, we are on holy ground. And I want you to understand this too. And you've heard me say it before. The fact that we've got a Bible like this in our hands, though every one of us has it, and most of us have probably about as many as we can count. We are the exception in church history that most throughout church history who have been Christians have not had Bibles. And that was kind of referenced this morning by Scott. And if somebody, the reason people could be deceived so easily, they didn't have their own copy of Scripture. And when some of the men like Wycliffe and said, we're going to educate these people so that the plowman who drives, the plowboy who works in the field will know more Scripture than you who are priests, they were persecuted because of that. Because it knew if they put the Bible in the hands of the people, it takes away their ability to deceive the people. And, and so what you... But, but we are so blessed, first of all, to have it. People have died for this right. And understand, every time we open it up, 
we are on holy, holy ground. Now, a couple of other points that we made last time, and this is some of this just to bring us up to speed. But the scripture, the actual words of God, and I saw, I think Gary took a picture of that. Or anybody else want to take a picture quick because I may have to erase that. Um, because people, it will be on your test. Okay, I'm telling you. Um, so, they keep finding inventive ways to find this eraser. Okay. But anybody move quick. So, another point we talked about, we mentioned last time, because it is the Word of God, it is authoritative. Customs come. Um, well, I'll be. We'll just abbreviate. Authoritative is what that stands for. It is um, binding. It is eternally applicable. Customs come and go. Cultures come and go. Kingdoms come and go. But God's Word remains the same. Now, if God truly intended for His Word to be Word for us for all time, don't you think that God spoke in a way that transcended any particular custom, any particular culture at any given moment in time? And we talked about this last time and how that works itself out between looking at the Old Testament as, as we talked about with Lloyd about the Sabbath. Um, he, Jesus viewed it as historically accurate. He viewed Scripture as historically accurate. And we gave you examples of that. Uh, and as Tony pointed out earlier tonight, Jesus fulfills all of Scripture. Christy said the same thing. I think Gary said some of the same thing. That, 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 that a true prophet's words come to pass. And Jesus... Jesus viewed the Scriptures as authoritative, binding. He viewed them as historically accurate. And He believed that He Himself is the fulfillment of Scripture. I'm sorry if I'm speaking in too quick code, assuming uh, that everyone remembers last week. But there was a point I wanted to make, and one of the reasons why I wanted to come back to this, that I didn't get to make last night. Look at Matthew 4. How did Jesus view Scripture? Jesus viewed Scripture as the actual words of God. Jesus viewed Scripture as authoritative and binding. Jesus viewed Scripture as historically accurate. Jesus viewed Scripture as finding their ultimate fulfillment in Himself. Now what do you think I'm going to use Matthew 4 about? It is a it is written, and particularly David, how's he using that here? When he quotes scripture, his defense as a defense against the uh, yes. temptation. To say no to temptation. The first temptation. The devil says, if you're the Son of God, turn these bread, turn this stone into bread. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8 and verses 2 and 3. It is written. When confronted with temptation, he says, this is what Scripture says. 
verse 7. As Jesus is tempted, the devil takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, Jump off, for he will give his angels charge concerning you. He will not allow your foot to strike a stone. And Jesus said, It is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Quote from Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16. The devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in verses 8 through 11. He says, all these will be yours if you fall down and worship me. And he said, go away, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's a quote from Deuteronomy 6, 13. Now, I don't have... We don't have the time to explore all the depth of that. That would take a whole lesson in itself. And I hope I said some good I hope I said some of the some of the points that could be helpful in my lesson on that in Matthew 4, if it's still out there. <laughs> but he used the word of God to say no to temptation. You will know from this illustration, Isaiah. Well, I think it's fascinating on the other side of that. The devil uses Scripture to lie. And <laughs> yes, so we can, right. we can lie by quoting Scripture. If we're not careful to understand the reason that God put it there, what He meant by it, and mm-hmm. we have to be careful not to just wield it for our own will, but use it how He meant for us to. Yes. Is it going to I think we're great. Uh, uh, but Lord willing, uh, that passage that the devil quotes is Psalm 91, 11 and 12. Um, and when we get to Psalm 91 on Tuesday night, um, you know, if you can't come to the class, listen to the podcast. Cause there's, some, there's, some, there's something interesting there, really interesting that Satan's missing. To, uh, a couple of interesting things. But... But nonetheless, uh, that, that is a good point. The illustration I'm about to use is somewhat dated, and you will, you will know that by some of the names I mentioned. Some of the names I mentioned may not even mean anything to some of you younger people. But, but I, I remember reading this illustration in a book that a preacher, um, a preacher wrote, and he was a... Uh, he would be a person I would agree with on things like baptism, but he was trying to live a moral life. And he was talking about what happened. He said he was in a conference, and it was a Bible conference. He said he was so far away from home, and he said he'd been away for a couple of weeks, and he said he was lonely. And he said he went down to the hotel restaurant, he ate at night, and he said that um, there were a couple of women that he noticed kind of giggling and looking at him. And um, he said he got finished the meal, went to the elevator, and he says, Lo and behold, they appeared here on the elevator. He pushed his floor number and says, What is your floor number? And they gave him the same floor number that he mentioned and looked at him rather sensually. And he said, He said, It had never happened to me before. And he says, I have to acknowledge. He says, I've never been mistaken for, and here's the old person alert, or maybe young person alert, I've never been mistaken for Robert Redford before. (laughs) 
Um, but he said, so he said, I have to acknowledge there was part of me that was flattered. But he says, that wasn't the dominant feeling. He said, what happened to me? He said, the thing that, that led me to say no temptation, he said, I love my wife, I love my four kids. But he said, that wasn't the primary motivation. He said, I saw a great, it, like it were a great visual picture in my mind of Galatians 6 verse 7. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows to the flesh will reap destruction. And the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life. And he said, that was the first passage. And he said, that just was so vivid in his mind. But he said, then passage after passage started hitting me. And he said, I said no to temptation. As much as I love my wife, as much as I love my four children, that wasn't what motivated me the same way the Word of God motivated me to say no to temptation. Now, I don't know what, what it is you're struggling with. And what it is, and, and but whatever it is, the recommendation of Bible study and prayer are not just things Christians are supposed to say. Those are our greatest weapons in our spiritual armor, in our battles against sin and temptation. And it is striking to me all that Scripture does. When you look in Psalm 119, Scripture revives us. Do you ever feel like you're down and out and that you need revival and your church needs revival? Well, there's about 10 times in Psalm 119 that says the Word does that. Psalm 119.24 says the Word counsels us. In verse 28, it strengthens us. In verse 38, it produces reverence for God. It comforts us in verse 50 and 52. It gives us light in verse 130. And in verse 165, it gives us peace. Now, nobody here needs any of that, do you? We all know we do. And that is only beginning to scratch the surface of what the Word can do. The Word of God is powerful, can help us to say no to sin, It can transform our lives when we're broken. can pick us up when we're discouraged. Another illustration. And I'm confident at some point I've given this. But it is powerful. It was related to me. It, it happened to um, a student. And this was related to me by Melvin but he said that a young person told him when he was at Florida College teaching, he said a young person had come from, I think he was from Arkansas, but, but he was from a small town and he had never seen anybody with a, we'll work for food. So, 
never seen that until he got to Tampa. And, and one of the first times he sees it, he's the first car there, and he's kind of just face-to-face with this homeless person. And he didn't want to just not do anything. But he didn't have any food. He said he didn't have any money, which, you know, a lot of us understand. We just don't carry those things normally. And he said he rolled down his window. And he was planning to preach, and he had all kinds of notes in his Bible. He said, I don't have any food, and I don't have any money. But he said, I'm going to give you something that's really precious to me. I want you to take it, and I want you to use it. And he handed him his Bible. That was early in this person's Florida College experience. He went to school there a couple of years. He went home for a couple of years. And one day he walks out to the mail and there's a packet. He wasn't expecting anything. He has his name on it. He opens it up. And it's his Bible that he gave to that homeless man. He thought, how am I getting this back? He looked in the front. He left his home address in it. But he also had a note. He said, thank you for giving me this book. He said, I want you to know that I took your advice and I read this book. And because of this book, I was able to get off of alcohol, my addiction to alcohol, my addiction to drugs. I was reconciled to my wife and my children. Thank you for this book, but now I've got a good job and I can afford my own. And he says, I also go to church every week. I want you to know that. Here's no book that has got as many people off of alcohol and off of drugs and changed their lives and lifted them up and stopped them from suicide. And whatever else the problem that you can think of, there's no book that has done that like this book. The Word of God has a power to transform us, who we are, and what we are. And I want to tell you, whether our lives and our churches be in times of peace or in times of trouble, the answer is always this Word. In our surrender, to it. Our surrender to it. Um, did, did anyone tell you last week, Tony, we were not to be not to be painful here, but a little disappointed in you? I was in fact you were speaking, I thought I was gonna have extra time. You know, I thought surely Tony is gonna keep us over, you know, a little bit. Or even I time myself. <laughs> I know. I was counting last week. I was counting on his not cropping it out. That's what I'm trying to say. 
but, 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 but no, I'm sure you didn't. I can be the unabridged version of that. But calls of you short-winded guys, uh, I'm, I'm having to cut these things kind of short on Sunday night. But, um, you know, I don't want us, in conclusion, say a couple of things. Um, teacher of mine at Lipscomb, who, who, by the way, he's still alive, he's 88, he, uh, he was talking to a person recently who, who shared this with me, who come from a non-institutional background like, like me, like you, and Rodney Cloud was very, this man, this teacher I had was very complimentary of us, and he says, I think y'all chose the right way to go in that. And he, he told him what he tried to emphasize even in those days of division. But he said, I got a master's degree at Harding University in the Bible and never took a specific Bible class. He said, we took classes on the background of the Old Testament, the background of the New Testament. And this, that. He says, I realized how foolish that is. You don't get a, a master's in Shakespeare without reading Shakespeare. You, you, know, but, but I, you know what that's indicative of? We assume the biblical text sometimes. We assume the biblical text and it should not be done. And, and we need to make the Bible the focus of what we do. After Paul said all scripture is given by inspiration of God in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, he said, preach the word. That's what we have to offer. Thank you guys for listening. Tony? And you might as well just make a comment related to what I talked about though too, that the word of God is so powerful. You talk about that transform, transformative power of it, but no other human word does this. Not even the words of a Buddha or a Muhammad. No one else says these types of things that can transform even the most corruptive parts. Yeah. And that's that's what it is. And it's not just that there's some mystical power in them, but it's what we talked about was a coming to terms with God, fully understanding God the way God meant to be understood. That when we can talk about authority and binding, we can talk about well what's authoritative and binding but the what God said and not maybe my always my interpretation. Yeah. But yeah. us always trying to come to, to understand, to think with two minds thinking the one thought, the same as God. Once we do that, like you can't unsee something. You can't unsee the world. And so like you get to peer behind the curtain. When you read read God's word, you're like, that is what's really going on here. You know, we we, we think it's these physical things, these physical interactions, when you realize the spiritual things going on, like you finally get to hear the Creator's mind on things. And nothing else reveals that other than the word that He has spoken to us. And that's why it's so powerful, because all these cosmic forces you realize are being aligned against one another. And that's really what the war is. And that's why it's powerful to change people, because you think it's just because Buddhism, that's what it almost espouses you. Change, changing the, the draperies. But that isn't going to clean up what's inside the house. Yes. That's what that's yeah, what that's what Islam is. It's it's just do some things and maybe yeah. he'll let you in. But it doesn't really transform hearts who we because are. God is speaking to us on that kind of level. Yeah.
And that's why it's so, that's why, that's why it is scripture. That's why it is from God, because nothing else can carry that weight to it and, and identify what really is at the heart of each individual and what's really going on. The Creator who made us knows how He made us, and He knows what words can shape us and change us. He does that. And the very fact, and I know this is somewhat subjective, but the very fact, when, when, when I can see how the Word helps me overcome a problem, that just re-emphasizes all those things and underlines it in my life. That yes, God and God's Word can do this. Thank you guys. Appreciate some. Alan, would you want to lead us in prayer as we close? Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to have been here tonight to listen to our brother teach us about these things. And Father, we pray that you will help us be people of the book and to go to the study of, of your word and, and to activate it in our lives and become better for it. Father, we pray that you be with those who are mindful of the brothers and take it to the hospital. Pray that you help him. And um, we pray to watch over us and give us a good week in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Amen.